0: It's cold and flu season, which means it's cancellation time in classical music. This is Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. It's a thrilling, edge-of-seat drama that audiences never see. A performer cancels, and a presenter or an opera house has to act quickly to find a replacement. Some companies are by necessity prepared. Opera has a cover or understudy system. There's simply no way of knowing who might cancel, or when, or for what reason, and that can give serious migraines to agents and artistic directors. In a moment, we will speak with one of each of those, but first, a singer who is very familiar with stepping in at the last minute. Stephen Gartner is a baritone who works regularly as an understudy at the Met, in fact, He's on a break right now from a rehearsal of Rigoletto. He recently stepped in to replace Dwayne Croft when Dwayne Croft got sick in the middle of a performance of Les Troyens at the Met. Stephen, can you tell us how the understudy or cover system at the Met works?
1: Well, basically, the Met requests for our agents what roles they would like to have certain singers cover, depending, of course, on voice type, availability, et cetera, et cetera. Is every um, role covered at the Met? Yes, every role at the Met is covered. Sometimes there are two covers. It depends, again, on availability. And in one instance, I was involved in a recent world premiere, The uh, First Emperor by Ken Dunn, and there were two covers on every part.
0: Okay, so what are your exact duties as the cover? How close do you have to stick to the hall at performance time?
1: We have to be, first of all, in Manhattan, and we have to be within 20 minutes of the theater itself. So if a person lives within that radius, they can cover from their apartment, or they come to the theater and they hang out in the theater, which is what I do because I actually live in Queens.
0: And do you have to be warmed up and ready to go? And do you have your own costumes, or how does yes, that work? We have
1: our, absolutely. We have to be prepared. As if we were going to actually perform, we all have our own costumes. A lot of times, if there is any question of whether or not the official singer may or may not go on, or for that matter, continue, then they're you're given notice and they have the costumes ready just in case. In fact, my debut at the Met was as an understudy jumping in at the last minute, and it was in the middle of the performance. The artist was uh, not feeling well, but he felt that he should perform. As a matter of fact, his parents were in town, so all the more reason. (laughs) But he was really unable to finish, and there I was, and I had really no notice. I mean, I was sort of told at the beginning of the night that he was not feeling well, but he was going to sing anyway. And then by the last act, he just came off and said, I can't do it. There's just nothing left. So there I was. I had to jump and do it. And in my case, You know, some people have auditioned on the stage of the Met, and sometimes they've done the competition. In my case, I had never even sung a note in the theater before that night, so I had no idea what to expect. Luckily, I can say it all went very well.
0: (laughs) So do you ever have to choose between being the person who's going to do the role in the new production at a smaller company or covering a big role at the Met?
1: That has not happened yet for me, and I know a lot of artists have had that choice. Generally, I think the artist chooses, you know, if finances are not so much of a, a hindrance, they would choose to perform the role in a smaller company or uh, a comparable company to the net. Is it really frustrating
0: but, uh, to learn a role and never then be called on to step in and I, sing it?
1: You know what? Yes, it is. I'm not going to lie to you. That has been the case a lot. In fact, last season, I had four assignments, all four of which were very interesting and very challenging roles. And in neither case was I called to replace my colleague. It was frustrating also because some of the roles that I've been asked to learn are unlikely to be revisited again. For instance, last year, I was a cover in Philip Glass' Satyagraha, um, which is, of course, not only is it rarely performed, but is also sung in Sanskrit. So there's a And lot a bear of to learn, involved.
0: yes. Um, has it ever happened to you that somebody has canceled with enough time that the administration said, oh, we want to bring in a star, and so you had to step aside as cover for somebody else to come in?
1: Yeah. You know, knockwood that has not happened to me, but it happens a lot because for different reasons the met might feel oh you know the performance really depends on a star in a certain role or we feel that the cover is maybe prepared but not quite good enough to elevate the performance to the level we expect or oh, whatever there's a there's a bunch of reasons for that
0: and what are the biggest perks of being a cover.
1: A lot of times when you do go on, you might be surprised who you might uh, end up on stage with. For instance, I went on stage in Les Toyans and there I was singing a big duet with, of all people, Deborah Voigt.
0: Not a bad gig.
1: No, not a bad gig. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much, Stephen Gartner, for joining us today. I'll let you go back. I can hear Gilda warbling in the background. I'll let you go back to your rigoletto rehearsal. Great. Thank you Thank so you much so for joining much. us today from the Metropolitan Opera.
1: You're very welcome.
0: So that's what happens to a performer when somebody cancels. But before that performer ever sets foot on stage, there is a whole drama going on behind the scenes between the people putting on the performance and the artist managers. Joining us now are Perrin Leach, the managing director at the Houston Grand Opera, and Bill Pallant, vice president and artist manager at IMG Artists who oversees the careers of many singers. Perrin, I'm going to start with you. It's a tough climate out there for arts organizations. Some people would argue that big-name singers are really essential to selling a show. How devastating is it for you if an artist cancels?
2: It's devastating on a number of levels. I think that for an audience in the house, actually, is the least devastating once they've heard the performance, because they tend to understand these things and, and respond to the particular artist that is on in, uh, in place. But in terms of the financial impact, it it can be truly devastating. The show must go on is a a well-held mantra. And with, as you say, the arts in in troubled times, a lot of roles aren't covered, and especially when you're doing less common work. So when you're doing a Traviata, for instance, um, if you have a a cancellation, then there are a number of options you normally have to, to be able to get someone in there fairly quickly. If you're doing a piece that's brand new, then you know, and Houston Grand Opera has a long history of commissioning world premieres. It becomes incredibly difficult because no one else knows it. Um, so it's it's a, it's something we try to avoid. Um, but when it happens, I think we're a fairly well-oiled machine in in getting lists of names together um, and being able to get people to fly at very short notice. Sometimes,
0: Bill, I was going to ask you that: Are we maybe seeing more cancellations these days because? People can hop on a plane if they get a better gig, or are we seeing better plug-ins because people can hop on a plane to replace somebody, or both?
3: I think it's a bit of both. I think that uh, there are so many uh young singers and and maybe not so young singers who are looking for opportunities for work and so the opportunity the possibility of covering something at Houston at the Met at Covent Garden is attractive as a career building opportunity i do think that uh with the ease of transport getting on a plane or a train and and going between here and there it's not only is it easier to uh pop people in but it also serves the opposite in that singers are spending more times on more time on airplanes and uh picking up bugs and and you know flying at 30,000 feet you're getting dried up and showing up a, a day or two before a performance you are risking being sick and i think that the ease of travel plays both for and against Opera companies and not only uh, singers who were engaged to perform, but the singers who are engaged to cover.
2: I was just going to back up exactly what Bill said. I think that that it, it can absolutely cut both ways. The visa regulations for international artists have tightened enormously in the in the past decade. It's very difficult for us to fly in a, a European artist now to, to fill a role, and it's clearly costly as well. But it's. It's almost impossible because getting a visa is just, in, you know, impossible unless they happen to have a visa that's currently open because they're performing somewhere else, and that you know they have a three or six month visa that's open. So that does reduce the pool, but it becomes almost self-sufficient. Therefore, you're going from within the U.S. market, and you know you, there is that thing in the back of your head as a manage, as a management, that there'll be somebody who we can get in. But Bill's absolutely right. That also brings with it its own problems.
0: Yeah, I hadn't even thought of the visa thing. So, Baron, walk us through what happens. Say the soprano comes down with swollen vocal cords the morning of a performance. What are the series of steps that you take to find a replacement? Walk us through that.
2: Well, first of all, we, hopefully we've known about it beforehand. We have one of the great ear, nose, and throat guys in Houston, um, and we have a very, very good relationship with Methodist Hospital who have this special unit for C, called CPAM. Um, which is the performing arts medicine wing of Methodist Hospital. So, Dick Stasny uh, gets people on that other people couldn't get on. But let's just say <laughs> that even even Dr Stasny can't do his magic. By that point, we will have, I say, have a running list of names of people who may have sung the role before. Uh, I'll just go into an example if I may, because it's probably the easiest thing. Um, we had a, a Traviata last year um, in which the Alfredo just was put on vocal rest had to withdraw from the production during stage rehearsals. So we were less than four days from opening a production of, of Traviata. Um, and at that point, we already knew that this was potentially a, a possibility that, that he would have to pull out. So we started phoning around, and the long and the short of it is we ended up piecemealing it together. Brian Emo, um, who is an American artist but was at Covent Garden covering a role at Covent Garden. And he's um, the he's, one who
0: just stepped in in yes. Les Troyes and had a huge... He,
2: he, 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 he's, Stephen Gartner just
0: mentioned him, in fact, as having okay, stepped in. so there you go. Here.
2: So, uh, so Brian, uh, and, and Brian said, look, I, I, I'd love to do it, and I've sung the role before, I'd love to do it, um, but I, I can't leave London for two days. And we said, well, come on, you can, you know, there's a dress rehearsal, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I, I can't because my wife's making her Covent Garden debut, um, and I have to be here for that, otherwise my future is in jeopardy. So we allowed him to stay, he did work, and, and this is where companies can work very well together, we... Talked to the Royal Opera House. He did music coaching with the Royal Opera House music staff on the role of Alfredo. And then, as soon as her debut was over, he got on a plane, was in Houston, and we literally put him in the afternoon of, of the first night. We walked him through everything, and someone was waiting in the wings every time he came off stage, saying, "You know what you're doing next?" Yes, I know what I'm doing next. He was absolutely sensational. And, and, and you know, I think there are some people who are temperamentally suited to, to being able to do that, and there are other people who, who aren't. And I'm sure. Bill, Bill will talk more about that, but there are people who are just calm and just know what they have to do and then we you know so over the next couple of days we worked with him more and by the second performance, he absolutely knew everything you know from heart um, and you know and, and it, at that point it would have become very simple except so that Brian wasn't...
0: You're not like the Met. You don't have a whole set of covers sitting there for each performance. We,
2: we do not have a whole set of covers sitting there for, for each performance at all. What we do have is, is a, a, a fantastic and world-renowned uh, studio. So a lot of those young artists are doing study roles. Now, study is not a cover. They're studying that role for their own pedagogy. But quite often um, in the past, that has led for opportunities for studio members to step into roles. Um, a, a very cited example here is a, a lady called Heidi Stober, who has, now has a fantastic career. Heidi was in the studio, um, and we, we were struck with exactly the, the premise you, you outlined at the beginning. Prano went down, we need someone for tonight. Um, she'd done, uh, Heidi had done the study role, stepped in as an arena in Don Pasquale, and that was really a, a huge break for her, not only because it gave her... The, the chance to be seen by everybody but it also just gave her that bump of confidence to go hang on a second I can do this mm-hmm. and you know from then on she's, she's gone i say she's a fantastic artist and has come back to Houston many times and works extensively all over the world now
0: We've heard what happens on your end I'd like to hear from Bill what happens in the management office when you get a call like that what kind of scramble goes on It can be quite panicky
3: if one is engaged to the Met of course I think which is a unique situation where they uh, double-cast every role from top to bottom. If, if a person has a one-word role, that person is covered. There are instances, and to sort of pick up where, where Perrin left off, just a couple of weeks ago, a, a member of the Houston Grand Opera Studio was called in. She was an apprentice this past summer in Aix-en-Provence for the world premiere production of, a, of an opera called Written on Skin by the composer George Benjamin. And uh, the opera company in Toulouse was doing uh, a production of Written on Skin. The Soprano got sick, cancelled. There are only two people on the planet that know this particular Soprano part. So I got the call saying, we are in desperate uh, straits and would Lawrence Nofer please get on a plane from Houston right now and go to Toulouse for a performance tomorrow night. And she did. And she did the next performance as well, and then flew back. And so, going to your earlier question about flying around the world and jet-setting covers, it is a regular occurrence, and it's something that is very exciting and something that can make careers. Heidi, who, as Perrin has said, has graduated, been graduated from the Houston studio, and now has a hugely distinguished international career. And this kind of training program is just for those occurrences. But a lot of the singers that I work with, this is something that that Stephen spoke of earlier, singers that I have that are invited by the Met to cover, of course they would love to be singing, But one of the things that I talk to them about is, is it a role that they hope to do in the future? Because they will get music training, coaching, dramatic coaching, diction coaching in preparation. And it may be a wonderful strategy to take a cover contract at the Met or Chicago or Covent Garden as a way of growing. And then the next time when they get invited to do it somewhere else they will have learned the other thing that that is a something that we always talk about is who is the artist that they are covering does that artist that is engaged have a tendency to cancel because that's something that can play in it's something that i will urge my singers frequently to think about you know are you going to be covering someone who is a known canceller because if that person
0: is engaged to cover chances are they'll get a performance and that can be very exciting I was going to ask about known cancelers. We've got people like Martha Argerich out there who are known for, Monserrat Caballet, who was also known famously Mm -hmm. for canceling. Are there some artists who have contracts that are not so traditional that say, well, you know, I'm not responsible if I cancel? I I don't think that there are
3: contracts that are devised in that specific way. Of course, every contract has a force majeure clause for health, for war, for earthquake, a hurricane, that they are not uh, penalized for, for cancelling. Maybe Perrin can speak about this. I don't, it's, I'm not familiar with a particular kind of contract that's set up for artists who are predictable cancelers.
0: <laughs> well, Perrin, I was actually going to ask you how it works pay-wise if an artist cancels because I mean, if I don't show up for work, I have sick days. Is if your tenor gets sick, and doesn't sing the performance, does he still get paid? It, or if somebody it, drops it, out know, in the middle, or how does it work?
2: In most instances, it's a pay-to-play scenario, and if they don't sing, they don't they don't get paid. I and mean, that does help people, because on on how sick they are at times, in terms of if they if they uh, are. Taking ill mid-performance, and that happened at San Francisco on the opening night of their season, I think it was this year. Most management, I believe, would be, do the honourable thing and say, you know, they made best attempts to to be on stage and and physically just were unable to complete the role. At that point, um, I think you, you you certainly would pay the fee. That happened. This, that very thing happened at San Francisco this this year, and, and Melody Moore, who's currently here in showboat with us, had to step in at you know at the interval. These things happen. They are human beings. We're all human beings, and sometimes there are certain uh, physical things which mean you just can't go on stage, and those things do happen.
0: So, as you've said, artists are human beings. Things happen. But every once in a while you sort of read about a cancellation and you go, well, were they really sick or were they sick, in quotation marks?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are people who who, who will err on the side of caution. Um, I think the, the bigger name you get and certainly the bigger... Spotlight that there is on you, there is much, much more pressure. If you crack on a note because you're not 100%, people don't really hear the "I'm not 100%." They hear the fact that you you had a bad performance, and you know those things go around very quickly sometimes. So we shouldn't underestimate how much pressure performers are under. You're right to say that if you or I don't feel 100%, we can come into the office and do a 70% day, um, and probably no one really notices. Performer goes on and does a 70% day. You know, they have an army of of critics out there and an army of audience who say, oh, I saw her. Isn't she getting worse? Isn't he getting worse? And and it may just have been a particularly bad night for them. And and Um, I also
3: think that you're only as good as your last act. And in this world of various uh, opera blogs and websites that are absolutely ruthless and unforgiving, I can't fault the performers who are sensitive to the fact that if they crack a note, or if they are giving anything other than 100%, there are people that are almost salivating to rip them to shreds, very publicly and in a very uh, humiliating
2: way. Absolutely. And and that that non-accountability of the internet is going to continue to be an issue as we -hmm. we move forward. Most people do not filter what they read. We all quite occasionally like a bit of salacious gossip. And unfortunately, it is the world we live in and, and people now have to to take that on board.
0: Bill, I want to ask you if an artist cancels a recital, who loses the income, the venue? or the performer, and is there some kind of insurance that covers this?
3: Yes to a lot of it. In an ideal circumstance, if a singer or a violinist or, for whatever reason, illness, they couldn't get a visa, the instrument is broken, whatever it is, there would be agreed upon clauses that protect both the institution, the performing arts institution, and the performer. So in an ideal world, if a singer gets sick and has to cancel a recital, the... Paul would if possible graciously reschedule the recital and in a best case scenario absorb whatever fees were associated with the date of the cancellation so the the electricity the stage staff the programs that were printed the the heating and uh, absorb those costs and not make the performer pay for them he or she the the, the singer that was canceling certainly would not be paid for the night. They might get their hotel and and airfare covered. Again, it's not a requirement, but it would be a generous gesture of of the
0: organization presenting the recital and then
3: get an opportunity to do the program when they're feeling better.
0: So, Perrin, I have to ask you, there's, of course, the iconic moment when the general manager steps out from behind the curtain and has to make the announcement. Are you that guy in Houston?
2: Uh I absolutely am that guy and unfortunately I had to do it many times during our first rep period of this year um, it was pretty much every night that I had to go out and make an announcement of some sort um, one of which was a physical injury um, but it was a very physical production and therefore you know, the fact that Larry Brownley had, had strained a tendon in his leg meant that he was limping around the entire time, he had a boot on for three performances um, and at that point
1: <laughs>
2: you know, it's, it's very clear that he's being, being compromised so I ended up doing that but it is me, um, what I always believe in is, is trying to do it with a, a sense of humour, um, because I think that people are going to be disappointed, but I do think 99% of the time, by the time you get to the end of a show, people have A, forgotten it, and b. I I, I mean, Bill will also comment on this. I think there's a different adrenaline when you have someone going on as a cover. Um, quite often the show is, is unbelievably energetic and focused in a way that sometimes it isn't, because people... People help, you know, the, the community of, of singers, they help each other through things when things aren't going right. So if someone comes on who doesn't quite know the role, I've seen some spectacular direction by people putting their arm around them and guiding them into the right space where they're going to be lit, and, you know, and, and it's it's a fantastic experience being in a at a performance where someone's sometimes being just thrown in and, and literally walked on. It's, it's uh, very time... exciting,
3: but it's also, it, I think that when when you, Perrin, or when someone from any other company comes on and, and makes an announcement, uh, I think that the audience can be very excited for the cover to see if, you know, is that going to be the night where, there's a, star a, a, a star is born. You uh, know, I yeah. happened by coincidence, I was at that performance that you're speaking of where Larry had hurt his, his leg and he made the most of it hobbling around stage, but his singing was spectacular. And, and if yeah, you had closed exactly. your eyes, you wouldn't have known that he was in great pain because of his foot. But going yeah. back to the point that there have been nights where a cover comes on for an ailing uh, singer and a star is born. I mean, you know, when I was yeah. invited to to come speak here, I was thinking back to some of the great metropolitan opera cancellations and <laughs> and, and stars born, you know, in, in, in somewhat recent memory, Aprile Milo had a star-is-born moment when she replaced a nailing soprano in Simon Bocanegra. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Erica Sunegard made a debut when Carita Matila got sick and, and cancelled Fidelio. And, and many, 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 many years ago, I don't know if the star-is-born moment, but certainly one of the most fabled, glorious step-ins ever in the history of opera at the Old Met, when Lotte Lehmann cancelled the performance of uh, Die Valkyra and Astrid Varnai made her debut. And uh, the, that, really, the rest is history.
2: Can I share one more story, Namie, just before you go? It's, it's sure. quite quick. Um, so the greatest evening of one of those announcements that I ever saw, my dim and distant past, I used to work at Welsh National Opera um, and, uh, with Anthony Freud, and we were doing a brand-new production of Flying Dutchman. Bryn Tafel was doing the first six performances in Cardiff and then Bryn wasn't available for the tour, and a fantastic artist called Rob Haywood was was taking over the role of Dutchman. So Rob's been there all through the rehearsal period, Bryn's, we've opened the show, it's been a huge success because the Welsh people flocked to see Bryn, and everything about that has been sensational. First week of tour was in in the Bristol Hippodrome, which is not very far from from Cardiff. Um, Rob phones up on the day and says, I've been up all night throwing up, there's no way at all that I'm going to be able to do the performance tonight. So, quick come, set of conversations, calls. We sent a helicopter in the end to get Bryn from North Wales, where he was on holiday with his family. He agreed to do the performance. So he flew down. We got him to, to the Bristol Hippodrome with about an hour to spare, I guess, before the performance started. So Anthony went out on stage, and everyone went, oh, that groan as, as the the guy in the in the dinner suit walks out on stage, and he said, "You know, um, ladies and gentlemen, tonight the role of Flying Dutchman." And everyone's like, "Oh no, worst possible news." You know, it, it um, was due to be sung by Rob Haywood. Rob's been unfortunately taken ill with a very uh, serious stomach issue. We have found a young Welsh baritone who we think <laughs> might have a future. <laughs> At which point, and, and, uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, tonight the, the singing role of the Flying Dutchman will be Brindes out And of course they paid... To see Rob Haywood, and suddenly they had this massive world star uh, as this promising young Welsh baritone who we think might have a future. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know that performance was sensational. But it, you know, that, and that's what I mean. There are times when you just don't know what's going to happen, and and there are times when the, the performer you see and the performance you see will will be heightened because of that that extra general, and, You know, performers love love to perform.
0: Thank you both very, very much. And stay so cool. healthy. <laughs> stay healthy. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs>
3: Thanks, Bill. Thank
0: you, Perrin. See you next week. Thank you. This has been Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. Our guests were Perrin Leach from the Houston Grand Opera and Bill Palant from IMG Artists. Brian Wise is our producer, Jason Isaac, our engineer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.